to Totalus Rankium. This week, Calvin Coolidge, part two. Welcome to American Presidents, Totalis Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the presidents from Washington to Trump. And this is 30.2. Calvin Coolidge, part two. Yes, yeah. Bit boring. Or is he? Well, he was in the last episode. I'm hoping it picks up. I really am. He seems... I don't know. I'm just going to say it now, right at the start. He's an odd one. He's a very odd one. Yeah. Maybe, um, reading the biography I'm reading, reading his autobiography, uh, all these yeah. bits of, and uh, Grace's, and uh, just dipping into other biographies, maybe I've gotten lucky with where I'm looking. Ooh. Because since last episode, some people got in contact to say something along the lines of, oh, come on, Coolidge was hilarious, he was a great kind of fun president and oh it was funny jokes and japes and yeah. all the stories and I, I, I'm just not seeing it I'm not <laughs> he, he comes across as more robotic and I, yeah. in my head I'd like to believe that everything he says that's a joke he does not intend to be a joke he's just saying <laughs> it in a deadpan voice and people are desperately hoping that it's a joke otherwise <laughs> was that a pun? <laughs> Please be a pun. Yeah. Uh, Gentle innuendo. I don't know. It was a hard one, sir. So you're right. That kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Who knows? Uh, we, we, you can make up your mind at the end when we judge him, finally. Okay. Um, right. uh, but let, let's, let's start the episode, because you'll be pleased to know I've got another anecdote to start us off. Uh, just like last time. I'm not just plucking it out of the air this time. Got a, okay. a wee little story. But just like last time, it is debatable whether this really happened or not. Yeah, I'll go with a no. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But let's, let's hear it. Let's, let's, yeah, I mean, I'm okay. intrigued. But you need to start me off, so... Start with repeating flashing light. Like, very rhythmic. Okay. With, with an orangey kind of glow. So it's like, like a lamp light, okay. maybe an early light bulb light. But it's, it's not like flickering. It's like a consistent Steady pulsing. beat of a light. Right, I can do yeah. this, but just bear in mind, it's going to change the anecdote slightly near the start, and it's not necessarily <laughs> all going to be authentic. See if you can figure out okay. where, where I've changed it. Okay. okay. Start with a pulsating orange light. Uh, on the international space station <laughs> it's it's just it's just black with like sort of sort of uh, spirals of smoke and a flashing steady pulsing light okay. and slowly but surely you just hear the getting louder and you realize you're outside a 70s disco oh. <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah it's just a pulsating beat flashing lights there's, there's people wearing uh, far more sequins than necessary uh, and <laughs> trousers far too wide <laughs> yeah and uh yeah out steps this room because it comes into focus you realize that you are on a church door <laughs> <laughs> and you realize that there's no singing it's just the the drone of a sermon being given over that steady rhythmic beat oh like disco sermon oh yeah <laughs> It's the Roaring Twenties, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good time. Drive for redemption. Exactly. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, the Coolidge. The Coolidge? 
that should have been his nickname, the President Coolidge. Coolidge. Oh, yeah. He, he steps time. out, uh, waving the uh, dry ice out of his face, and he strides and off. Wow. Okay, then he does the whole walk down the street, which is the opening to Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all that happens. Uh, and then finally, he gets home, back to the White House, where Grace is waiting. Grace hadn't been at the sermon. She'd been a bit under the weather, and uh, it's like you don't want that pulsating rhythmic beat while she got a headache. No. no. Anyway, she turned to her husband as he entered the room and uh, asked whether he had enjoyed the sermon. Yes, came the reply. Groovy. <laughs> well, what what was it about? Asked Grace. There was a pause, and then Cordage replied, "Sin." <laughs> Grace attempts one more time to actually have a conversation. But but what 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 did he say? There was another pause. He was against it. <laughs> and there you go. From there, just uh I'm going for a screen wipe. A disco oh, ball screen wipe. It kind yeah. of pendulums across the <laughs> And that the big screen. sort of balloony balloony rice and it's yellow oh, on yes, a brown background. Definitely. Yeah. With red dots in it, that kind of thing. So there you go. That that's um, that story, uh, apparently, most people say that didn't happen in real life, and my little embellishments uh, may have also made it less true than it was before. Which uh, embellishments were they? Um, I, I it wasn't said... a church. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but uh, there we go. That's, uh, okay. that's college part two. Yeah, he's living up to expectations so far. Good. Glad to hear it. Right, well, let's let's crack on, shall we? Harding, he's dead. He's well dead. He is. Uh, Coolidge finds himself the 30th president of the United States. Do you think he did a little fist bump? Mm. Okay, yes. I think, if you remember, he's staying at his father's house. Oh, then probably Um, didn't. He was woken up in the middle of the night and told uh, Harding's dead, you're the president. So... I think he just uh, shifted into his 90-degree sitting position and activated pleased mode. Um, but who knows? Uh, anyway, he, he's woken up. He heads on downstairs, and uh, a crowd starts to gather fairly quickly, as you can imagine. They need to swear Coolidge in. Uh, he's now the president, so uh, how, how do we do that? They ask each other. That's a good point. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> Are you Googling it? No, I'm looking at my notes. Oh, right, okay. Was his father John? Yes. Now, no, farm. He was a farmer, wasn't he? Yeah, he was to begin I with. It, but I, th- I can't. I, I thought it said vicar. That's why I looked at it. I thought, oh, no. Oh, easy. Um, I'm not sure how you've done it, but you have stumbled across the right answer in a way here. The farmer did it. <laughs> it was decided that as John was a notary, he would be able to swear his own son in. He, 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 he'd done other was things. Was he vicar? No, no, but he, he worked as, oh. as a notary, and that was enough for okay. him to swear his son in. Apparently, they found a copy of the Constitution in John's library. Uh, Just lying around. Yeah, it's America. Everyone's got a copy of the Constitution. It's true. I've got one somewhere. Have you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, didn't you get it when we, we decided we were going to do the President's series? Yeah, it's like, uh, complete waste of money. Can't you, even read it. You're the Constitution expert now. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's very useful. Yeah. No. It was. Uh, they just decided. You know what, John? You can do it. So Coolidge becomes the only president in history to be sworn in by his father. Yeah. Um, although there was some debate as to whether this was proper. Uh, was this done correctly? So Coolidge was sworn in again a few days later, just to just to really make sure. Like, Door swearage. 
Do you think his dad had to sign a, like, like a conflict of interest kind of document beforehand? <laughs> I'd like to think so. <laughs> Though interestingly, apparently uh, he didn't even need to swear in because vice presidents don't need to swear in when they... Uh, overtake officers. Oh, uh, but thinking about it after Kennedy, there's a photograph of it happening. Yeah, I, I I think they do because it looks good. But apparently, according to the law, uh, there's nothing in there that says the vice president has to swear in. Okay. Uh, as far as I'm aware, according to the book I read, that uh, was okay. a little footnote. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, but anyway, point is, he's president, so he heads to Washington. He didn't move out of the hotel. Do you remember he was in that hotel where uh, he kept being told that he wasn't allowed to go places because he wasn't the vice president of the hotel, just the country? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, so he's still there. He doesn't move into the White House to begin with because obviously Harding's family's still there. Uh, so he allows Harding's family time to, to move out. It's a bit unseemly. And the body. Yeah, to be... <laughs> Bit unseemly just to be wandering through the rooms with a tape measure. <laughs> <laughs> and this room in red. <laughs> yeah. So, a little bit of time, uh, but it's fine. Harding's family move out. The Coolidge's head into the White House. And then Calvin sets out to show that he was not about to upend anything that his predecessor was up to. Now, remember, Harding, recently dead, was riding a high in popularity. Hmm. No one's more popular than a dead president, or at least a recently dead president. That's true. Uh, so, Coolidge lets it be known, I'm going to be the second Harding. Don't worry, I'll keep everything ticking over just how he did. Nice. Yeah. Uh, he then met with the press and announced that he would continue Harding's twice-weekly press meetings with questions written down beforehand for organisation, uh, which nice. the press enjoyed. Uh, and uh, they were pleased with his performance in general, but not everyone was happy. Henry Cabot Lodge uh, had exclaimed after hearing the news of Harding's death. His first reaction was to say, My God, that means Coolidge is president. <laughs> it's not a vote of confidence, no, is it? No, and another prominent yeah. man in the party announced, If this country has reached the state where Coolidge is the right sort of person for president then any boy is qualified for the office. Oh, dear. Yeah. If you remember, Ooh. Coolidge sticks to himself, doesn't make friends easily, and uh, he isn't particularly well-liked by his own party. No. He got shoehorned into the vice presidency job as an afterthought sticking it to the party elite. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, everyone sees him as a bit of a caretaker. There's only a, just over a year until the next election... Um, he can ride this out and then we'll put someone proper in place. Yeah. That's generally the thought. Yeah. Uh, in fact, so much was this the thought. It wasn't just people in the party thinking about this. Uh, the general mood in the country was that Coolidge had got somewhat lucky in his life. Uh, he had stumbled into his post. Analogies yeah. to baseball were commonly made, apparently, which I'm sure resonated better with the audience at the time than it does with us two, since yeah. we don't know baseball. Do you have any... It's like rounders, isn't it's, it? It's rounders. Any, it's, yeah. any, any of the phrases? Well, apparently, he was... Home um, run? <laughs> well, I've, I've got First it. base president? Oh, yeah, no, 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 I've got it, Jeremy, don't worry. I've, I, so I'm, I'm sure that's, that's my knowledge. Yeah, that's it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's impressive. Um, Babe Ruth. He's the Babe Ruth. He was around at this time. Yes, he was. Uh, strikes, three strikes, and then you go to prison for the rest of your life. Something to do with that. It's a harsh game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just read the quote, and uh, then we'll see if we understand all of it. But I'm sure most of our listeners will. 
Uh, apparently, he was a baseball player who reached first base on a walk, stole second base, got third on an error, and reached home base because the catch had died. I think I vaguely follow that. I, I think I vaguely do. I'm not sure what on a walk means. I'm guessing... Easy. I was just easy. No, no. Here's where we no can effort. play... Can we guess what the analogy means? Oh. And our, our, we can have lots of replies from our listeners going, please yeah. never try and guess American sports again. <laughs> can I do a jingle? Hang on. Okay, do a jingle. America, can we guess it? Can we guess it? Okay, let, let's play this. Let's see if we can figure out what this means. Right. Okay, so you're saying first base on a walk just means that it was really easy, he just walked he it. He strolled it, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go That's for this. I'm going to say that there was something wrong with the, the, the throw, the pitch, so that means that you get to walk to first base. Ooh. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. That sounds better. Because that way, it's not Coolidge doing anything, like just finding it easy. It means that it was given to him. But is it an analogy for the start of his life where he did oh, maybe. just walk up through it? I don't know. Okay, second one. Stole a second base. <laughs> so you could go very literal with this. <laughs> um, I'm guessing something like he, he, he was actually beaten there by the catcher person, but the umpire gave it to him anyway. Oh, that's good. I like that. So he, That's what I yeah, think. Yeah, he, he should have been out, but he got away with it. Yeah. Yeah, see, I had nothing on that one, so let's let's go for that. Okay. Oh, no, because that's surely the same thing here. Got third on an error. Surely that's that. Maybe this is where the umpire... they called umpires? Referees? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> where the ref said... Uh, just miscounted the bases, maybe. Possibly. I mean, there are four. It's, it can get confusing. Yeah. Could it be maybe something to do with the batter? So it was really... It should have been a, a strike, but it wasn't. But they still made it there. Or maybe he just went to third base by mistake. That's an error, isn't it? <laughs> That's a big error, yes. Yeah. But I don't know why he'd be allowed to stay there. I don't know, I'm struggling with this one. Yeah. The last one's easy, and the most amusing one. Uh, he gets to the end because the catcher dies. Uh, I, I think I get that one. Yeah, I think that works. Yeah. yeah. Okay, then. America, or just any listeners that know baseball, let us know. Mm. How close were we in trying to figure out what the analogy was? And now I get to play the be beautiful jingle again. No, I've already got it, Jamie. You don't need to play it again. Oh, you, you're I'll playing play it again. again. You're I'll playing play it again. again. Okay. America, can we guess it? Can we guess it? So, anyway, the point is, right, that I was trying to make... <laughs> The point is, uh, he got a bit lucky. He's sort of, he, he's walked it in, he has. Yeah, he's he sold the second base, you could say. You could say, he, he got a third on an arrow, you could say. Yeah, yeah. the catcher unfortunately died. Exactly. Uh, yeah, the trouble in his party was that very few knew what to make of Coolidge. Uh, he had been an afterthought of, the, of a vice president pick, as I've already mentioned. Silent Cal was, as ever, an enigma. Who, who was he? Was he progressive? He had voted for progressive things before. That's on his record. Uh, mm. But actually, no, now I think about it, he's more conservative, isn't he? S some of his speeches recently have been very conservative. Is he anything? Mm. Who knows? It wasn't he the one that talks on both sides? Oh, yes, very much so. Yes. Yeah. Oh, 
uh, one journalist at the time said Coolidge's speeches uh, once he'd become president, and I quote, continue to be, in essence, a device for flabbergasting newspaper editorial writers without saying anything, to roar like a hurricane without letting loose any compromising ideas. Interesting. It's quite a skill. I, it is a skill. To be able to do it without it being so obvious that people just go, what What are you doing? That is a yeah. skill. Yeah. Uh, and either Coolidge was very good at this, or uh, people weren't that bothered by it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. yeah. All in all, it was a reasonable start for Coolidge. People were still thinking more about the old president than this new quiet one. And he was just getting on with becoming the president. Mm. Uh, and then the scandals start to come out. Yay. And it starts to become clear that Harding's cabinet was utterly, utterly corrupt. <laughs> yeah. Now, Coolidge tackled this problem as he had always tackled problems in the past. Ignored it all, but on both sides. That's really terrible. Blah, uh, blah, blah. Uh, by doing very little. Oh, okay. Pretty much ignoring it. He did right. set up a special prosecutor to look into the T-Dome scandal, which uh, I talked about last time. Yeah. Uh, but he did choose someone with ties to the oil industry to investigate. Ah. Yeah. Uproar was swift to that, and uh, then Coolidge <laughs> realised he'd made a mistake, so he chose a couple of men with no ties to oil at all, and that calmed the uh, dissenting voices down slightly. Good. And then he pretty much washed his hands of it. There you go, I've done my job. Nothing to do with me. That was Harding. <laughs> um, yeah, they're still in my cabinet, because I didn't change the cabinet, but that's fine. No, it's all done. Mm. I've done my job. Uh, the Senate didn't see it that way. They informed the President that uh, the Navy Secretary, we've had a look into him, he has to go. <laughs> he, he is very corrupt. He's a bad, bad man. Well, Coolidge, however, refused to fire his Navy Secretary, but after a few days of pressure, the Navy Secretary resigned anyway. Ah. Coolidge told him, You will go with the knowledge that your honesty and integrity have not been impugned. Uh, that, that, that was not how this country saw it at all. The country saw it as, oh, look at all these people who were in Harding's cabinet. They yeah. are up to their necks in illegal activity. Yeah. Yeah. If these men in the cabinet were not formally charged with something, the general opinion was that they had gotten away with it then. There were no innocents <laughs> oh. around. It's either yeah, the guilty older. who were caught or the guilty who weren't. So it's more like a witch hunt at this point. Um, well, uh, even people that could literally probably innocent but it's, it's you only, still want blood no it's only a witch hunt if you went to an actual coven of witches and then started to try and hunt the witches who were genuinely actually witches okay yeah because they were all corrupt they were all oh, up right. into their necks or up oh, into their necks they were. Up, up to their necks in it uh, the main yeah. man in this category was Doherty uh, who I've mentioned a few times before this is uh, Harding's good friend uh, campaign manager and attorney general Doherty yeah. was clearly fully involved in the dodgy dealings that had been going on and the senate wished to talk to him w what were you up to then how much of this do you know uh, Doherty just refused to cooperate with the investigation could you plead the fifth at this time uh, you can uh, that is definitely in the law, uh, but it, it, it doesn't look good to refuse to cooperate with a Senate investigation. No, not at all. Uh, so Coolidge was forced to, at last, fire Doherty, because it became very obvious that he wasn't going to do anything apart from carry on being corrupt. Almost daily, news stories were coming out on how the Republicans were taking bribes, sanning positions, into all sorts of illegal schemes. The Democrats 
sat by loving every moment of this as you can imagine <laughs> oh yeah i mean they had it recently been crushed in the last presidential election and they saw this yeah. as their inevitable comeback the next election is only just over a year away college would limp on because there's no way he's getting over this he's presiding over a dying administration we'll be able to walk into the next election surely said the democrats However, Your tone of voice tells me otherwise. Well, as the last of the investigations came to a close and the dust started to settle, something became clear. The public saw all the corruption as Harding's corruption. Ah. Yeah. Um, I guess I see Coolidge as well. It's clear he's drained the swamp. So <laughs> well, Coolidge and his not-my-job-to-sort-that-out-that-was-the-last-administration attitude. Yeah actually really pays off for him because really? he didn't get involved in any way with the investigations because he oh. wasn't talking about it he just yeah. let them tick on in the background he just didn't seem part of it he was a different man he wasn't involved and to be fair he wasn't involved a lot of republicans that were high up were but Coolidge's vice president was out of the loop he wasn't in with that set not important. Yeah. yeah so he was he was able to just distance himself on top of this the economy was doing very well. It's always good when the economy is doing well. Yeah. People tend not to be quite as upset. No. Yeah. And it's nice to see that's just it's keep getting stronger and stronger, which is Oh yeah, yeah. Exactly what we want to see. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yep. So in the White House, Coolidge soon settled into a routine. First thing in the morning he would go for a walk. All very nice. Nice. Then he would have breakfast with his wife, Grace. And by nine he started work. He had some meetings, uh, answered correspondence, etc etc. At midday, he would go and visit the tourists visiting the White House. Apparently he's the last president to really do this, because tourists start coming in droves as they start ah. opening up the White House a bit more. Yeah. After visiting tourists for a while, he'd go and have a nap. Hard work saying hello to tourists. Uh, he's recorded saying that his naps lasted no longer than an hour, but a source in the White House claims that they usually outlasted all afternoon. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, apparently, when he was woken up after about four hours, he would say something yeah. along the lines of, Is the country still here? Oh. Which, again, is either an example of his sense of humour or it's a terrifying insight <laughs> into Coolidge. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, sometimes, uh, while in his room in the afternoon and he wasn't asleep, uh, he would have a go on what he called his vibrating machine. Uh-oh. Okay. Also known um, as Thunderbolt. Okay. Yeah. I, I need no more information about that. On to the next thing. Good. <laughs> Shall we just go on to the next? <laughs> yeah, leave that. I'm not bothered. I don't want to know anymore. You don't want to know, but it was designed by none other than Kellogg of the Cornflakes fame, then. Which is ironic, because weren't Cornflakes a, a remedy for... <laughs> Stopping you from, well, you know... This uh, vibrating machine had been installed into the White House recently. Whoa. Secretly. Hey, well... Oh, yes. Yeah, you don't want everyone knowing about that. Don't want that in the newspapers, do you? Front page. Check out Thunderbolt! Scandal at White House! <laughs> do, do, you want to, do you want to know what Thunderbolt is? No, I really don't. <laughs> it's not going to be nowhere near as good as what's in my head. I, I, it genuinely might be, you know. Okay, go on. It's an exercise machine. Oh, is it the thing where you put like a rubber band around you and it like shakes you? No, no. For weight loss? No, it's oh. not that. No, it's more fun than that. Oh, God. It is an exercise horse, <laughs> an electronic one. <laughs> 
Okay, that's quite good. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's essentially a barrel with a saddle on top and a handle that, when you turned it on, would just jolt and move around a bit like a horse. Why? Well, in the same way that you get exercise bikes, it's an exercise horse. But horse... But surely they get that much exercise riding a horse. The horse is exercising. <laughs> I'm guessing the horse does more, yes. But yeah. the human on the horse still needs to be controlling movements and trying to balance themselves out. Still, still get some exercise from it, definitely. All right. Anyway, when it was discovered, because uh, like you say, <laughs> you don't want news of this getting out, uh, but it did, <laughs> because when it was discovered that Coolidge had uh, Thunderbolt, the vibrating machine, installed <laughs> into his bedroom... <laughs> Uh, he was widely mocked. The image of oh. this very silent president retiring to his room <laughs> to sit on a booking barrel was just far too amusing for anyone to take seriously. <laughs> that is really funny, though. It is really is funny. Quite funny. Uh, yeah, I just imagine him there with his straight face, just his head still perfectly still. A bit like an owl's yeah, like head. A pig. Oh, yeah, like <laughs> yeah. a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Body just moving all over the place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Occasionally say things like, easy Thunderbolt, easy. <laughs> There's a good girl. <laughs> so, there you go. That's what he did in the afternoons. <laughs> He went Brilliant. on his vibrating machine. Uh, anyway, after after a nap and, and a go on Thunderbolt, apparently he would then dine with Grace and maybe some guests. Maybe did some work in the evening, but no one ever witnessed this. Uh, they did witness him <laughs> sitting around a lot, smoking cigars in armchairs. Yeah. That's work. Sometimes he watched one of those newfangled moving pictures. Ooh. Yeah. So there you go. That was a typical day for... Coolidge. Wow. He gained a reputation for working the least of any known president. So far. <laughs> <laughs> so that, there you go. That, that's him. He, he worked mornings, basically. And even then, barely. That's quite impressive. Yeah, that's impressive. You can run a country with by doing very little. Well, we'll get into that uh, later when we're, we're judging him. But yeah. We also, you'll be pleased to know, get a couple of examples of these practical jokes that he apparently liked so much. Which, uh, as I said last episode, were suspiciously absent from his early life, despite the fact yeah. I kept being told in books that he loved <laughs> practical jokes. Well, I finally found one. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. He would ring the bell in his office. Oh, the scamp. And then he'd hide behind the curtain. Right. Yep. What a prankster. I I, I tried to find out what would happen next, but I couldn't. <laughs> he, either, <laughs> he either stayed behind the curtain until someone looked in, saw there was no one there, and then left. And then he'd get out and just sit down and slowly smile to himself. <laughs> or he'd, like, jump out pretending to be a vampire. Who knows? Who knows? I, I think, though, like, the first few times... The person didn't know where he was. Then eventually, he was behind the curtain. Then, by after that, they always knew he's behind the curtain. Yeah. So just quite stroppily coming through and rip open the curtain and say, "Come on, get back to work, calling. Waste my <laughs> bloody time. <laughs> Got a country to run." Well, the second one might you might find more amusing. Um, oh, I don't know. <laughs> apparently, he would ring ahead to the White House to announce his arrival, but then go somewhere else. He just sounds like a nuisance. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> It's like, you don't work hard enough to be able to do pranks like that. Uh, I'll, I'll quote him. According to his doctor at the time, Coolidge said to him, Do you know, I've never really grown up. Um, I can't help um, but feel this was said incredibly deadpan, however, and was actually a medical concern. <laughs> uh, but who knows? Uh, yeah. Now, before you think that it was 
all of fun and games in the White House, however, uh, mm. there are reports that the staff were particularly on edge under Coolidge. Ike Hoover, who was the White House usher at the time, um, no relation to the other Hoover, he said, at the time the employees lived, and I quote, in fear and trembling lest they lose their jobs. Coolidge kept them in a state of constant anxiety. So that puts a slightly darker twist on these practical jokes. Oh, it really does, actually, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm going to hide behind the curtain unless you find me in time, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Oh. This yeah, is what I, I mean by Coolidge is a really odd one. You can take so many stories in so many different ways. It's really hard to yeah. get a, a, a real idea of what it was like. You can't quit the can't quite hit the target. Yeah, it's all very strange. Things between Coolidge and Grace apparently were very strained at this time also. Coolidge didn't believe that it was the place of a woman to become involved in state affairs or politics at all. So he kept his home life and work completely separate, which is impressive when you live in the White House. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Uh, apparently Grace barely even knew who was in the cabinet. Uh, that's how out of the loop she was kept. Usually the First wow. Lady would be talking to the members of the cabinet and their wives and mm. helping the whole yeah. social scene of Washington tick over. So all yeah. that work that's not being done in the office is being done in the dinner parties. Uh, but no, none of that here. Coolidge was also uh, a, little, a little formal with his children, as I, I hinted at last time. Uh, John is around 18 at this time, and he let his father know that he was invited to a tea dance uh, in the middle of the day one day. So he might be slightly late for dinner, unfortunately, and wouldn't have time to dress formally. His Ooh. father replied, You will remember that you are dining at the table of the President of the United States, and you will present yourself promptly and in proper attire. Ooh. Yeah. I thought he didn't mix home and life, home and work. That's his son. So? Oh, yeah. yeah. His son, His wife and work. Son enough. had a winkle, so that was fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not the place of a woman, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, how did Coolidge get anything done if he's working so little? I hear you wonder. Yeah. Well, Coolidge was a master of one thing. Thunderbolt. <laughs> Thunderbolt. <laughs> he was a master of two things: Thunderbolt <laughs> and delegation. Ah, oh, but you've got to be a good delegator to lead. Oh yeah. But not too much where you look lazy, though. Well, it's, it's, it's a fine balance. It's a fine balance that arguably uh, he might have been able to balance on Thunderbolt all day long, but yeah, maybe he topples off the edge slightly. His heads of the departments were there to run the departments. If it was small enough for the department to deal with, they could deal with it. If it was big enough for the president to deal with, he'd just, just pretend it wasn't going on. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'll quote him. This is uh, the wise words of Coolidge. If you see ten troubles coming down the road... You can be sure that nine of them will run into the ditch before they reach you, and you will only have to battle with one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I can't help but really agree with the way that Coolidge does things if he wasn't mm. the president. <laughs> <laughs> I feel there are some times where you've got to go, actually, no, you, I really do need to deal with stuff now. If he I was... don't know. I, I think I admire him more because of that, because he manages to put actually a, a sensible philosophy into national i'm just just going to point out one thing one of the troubles yeah. coming down the road is the great depression oh there that yeah 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 oh dear yeah 
Okay. When you're perhaps running a bakery, that philosophy could <laughs> could work quite well. Try not to get yeah. too stressed about it. Uh, yeah, the, your buns will be fine. Yeah, exactly. The replacement part for the oven might not be here now, but it probably will be here in time. Don't stress about it. Yeah. The economy's about to fall flat on its face, the worst we've ever <laughs> seen in history. Yeah, <laughs> be fine. <laughs> But still, more about that later. Uh, Because, to be fair, Coolidge's method really does seem to work at the time. The country was, according to many, doing very well. Now, Mm. these many obviously were mostly businessmen and politicians, because the economy was getting better and better. Business was good. Uh, If you were in the class that could benefit from that, you were having a great time at this time. Or in other words, if you ignore the rising race problems in the country, which obviously Hmm. many did, uh, you could argue the country was having a bit of a golden age. Yes, utopia, as long as you're not black or a woman. Yeah. Now, don't worry, we will get back to the race problems in a moment. We're not going to ignore them, but let's deal with the economy first. As we saw in Harding's presidency, Mellon was currently in charge of the Treasury. Remember Mellon? He was uh, water, wasn't he? Water? Mellon. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I see you've got Coolidge's (laughs) sense of (laughs) humour. Mellon was the third richest man in the country, and he had certain views on how the economy should go. Now, I know listeners who are listening to this back-to-back or just have a good memory will be thinking, didn't you say second richest man in the country in the last episode? Why, yes, I did. But a certain Mr. (laughs) Henry Ford had done very well for himself recently with his automobiles. Yes. And he had overtaken Mellon. So you've got a very rich and popular Ford in the country at the moment. Uh, But still, Mellon, incredibly rich. Fully on board with the idea of the old trickle-down economics. Hmm. Let the rich get as rich as humanly possible, and then they would, in turn, obviously, spend that new wealth on their workers and the consumers. And everyone wins. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, why should we spend time, effort and money as a government trying to improve the lives of our citizens in the United States when if we give the money to the rich, they'll do it for us? (sighs) And you take more responsibilities then, because if the poor are still poor, it's it's not the government's fault, it's the rich people's fault. Yeah. And actually, it's not the rich people's fault, because they are doing stuff. It's probably actually the poor people's fault when you think about it. They're lazy, to be fair. Exactly. Now, Coolidge, just like Harding, was fully on board with Mellon's ideas. Taxes for the rich had to be drastically reduced if the poor wanted any chance of a happy life. Oh, for goodness sake. (laughs) I'll quote here. If we had a tax... And this is Coolidge uh, asking fellow Republicans in a speech near the start of his presidency. If we had a tax whereby on the first working day, the government took 5% of your wages, on the second day 10%, and so on, how many of you would continue to work on the last two days of the week? So an argument against the uh, higher taxes for the richer incomes. But completely... Oh, this is an awful, awful analogy. Analogy, yeah. Because, of course, people are not taxed for their time. They are taxed for how much is earned. Which I know, analogies, you're meant to choose something different. But this isn't done fairly. And it doesn't double every day. I I know, I'm... Yeah, no. People, obviously, are paid an unequal amount. So to make this analogy actually work, what Coolidge should have said to this room full of rich party members is you get to work for one day and for the last hour you will be taxed 5%, the last 30 minutes 10% and the last 5 minutes at 20%. Meanwhile, the average person has to work all week long and they will be taxed at 5%. That 
that actually makes the analogy work. And as you yeah. can see, it doesn't hold up. <laughs> no, not in no. any way, shape or form. But still, people didn't want or need to think about how poor the analogy was too much. Because if you say the words lower taxes, most people go, that sounds pretty good. Lower taxes. Yeah. yeah. Even if it does benefit the rich vastly more than anyone else, it's sounds good. It's still money in my pocket. And people, understandably, like money in their pockets. Yeah. Now, at this time, by estimates, uh, around half the country were on the poverty line. There was a real chance that if you lived in the United States, you were struggling to feed yourself. Wow. But despite this fact... Coolidge and Mellon were seen to be doing very well with the economy, even with these people who were struggling to eat. Yeah. Because they could see the wealth of the country go up. I mean, it's the 1920s in America. You just had to look around to see everything being built. The, the country yeah. was exploding with technology, with buildings. It's There's obviously a lot of stuff going on, and it's all very exciting. Yeah. How could this possibly be bad? The economy yeah. is solid as a rock, and this is brilliant. So, yeah, we they were... The roaring 20s. Yeah, they were riding a wave of popularity, but don't let that make you think that everyone was rolling in cash. Most yeah. people weren't. Yeah. Still, despite the fact that their tax plans were actually quite popular with the public, uh, Coolidge and Mellon had to fight a hostile Senate to get their tax ideas through. Now, although the Senate was Republican, Coolidge had a problem. No one really knew who he was in Congress. Now, if you remember, Coolidge had not spent any time as Vice President building up links with Congress, and it really showed. If you remember Barton, his, uh, his mate Barton. Yeah. Yeah, with Barton's help, Coolidge had been packaged and sold to the country as the strong and silent type, unflappable and on the side of the public. Uh, In short, he was popular, as Roosevelt had been before him, due to his personality, fictitious or otherwise, rather than his standing in the party. Well, he's the equivalent of a golem, isn't he? You could just implant your own personality (laughs) onto him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's whatever you want him to be. Yeah. Uh, So, Coolidge never really managed to get a handle on Congress. He had to fight his own party as well as the Democrats. Now, in the case of the tax cuts, the Democrats wanted the top tax bracket to come down from 70% during World War I. Good, chunky top tax bracket because they Mm. needed the money. They were at war. Uh, They wanted it to drop all the way down to 44%. The Republican Party wanted it even lower, to 35%. Mellon and Coolidge wanted 25%. Wow, that's a massive deduction. Oh, yeah. Uh, Eventually, a compromise was agreed to. The richest would pay 40% on their money over a certain amount. As you can imagine, big business are very, very happy with this. Not only were they making a huge amount of savings on taxes, but Coolidge's beliefs in small government worked very well for them also. Coolidge started appointing men to lead departments that they did not want to exist. For example, William Humphrey was placed in charge of the Federal Trade Commission. Humphreys described his own department as, I quote, an instrument of oppression, misbalance and injury. <laughs> so, yeah, just to... Yeah. Just to gut the government, uh, he was purposely placing people in charge of those departments that would not run them well. Excellent. Yeah. Many antitrust suits were brought forward under Coolidge, it must be said, fighting the monopolies. Uh, But as was becoming more common under Coolidge, over a third were dismissed. The fines were reduced (laughs) when companies were found guilty. And to sum up, the idea of the government curtailing the dangers of excessive monopolies was pretty much over. That whole push after the Gilded Age to try and stop the excesses, uh, it's, it's all falling apart again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the brief look at the economy as the election started to loom. Uh, generally, people were happy. 
but you can see some undercurrents of tension. I guess in this one as well, there's a lot of uh, money going to the stock market as well by this oh, point. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Wall Street were very pleased at this point. Yes. Yeah. yeah. However, as we have seen in the last few episodes, tensions in the country were still running strong. Despite what some people try to uh, claim, history is not all about the economy. Uh, and, <laughs> and people's actual lives are also quite important. Uh, yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of tension going on. The Red Summer's over, and the first Red Scare was starting to subside as people realised that teams of communist students were not actually about to take over the government. But... The racism was still going as strong as ever. Oh, yeah, it was. Oh, yes. In fact, Ooh. in terms of, like, actual terrorist organisation, it was arguably stronger than ever, because the really? second clan, now approaching 10 years oh. old, was growing rapidly. Full-time paid members were recruiting young men across the country. Uh, these young men would pay for membership and then receive their costume. Yeah. Oh. Uh, the local branch would then keep half of the recruitment fees, and then the other half was sent to a national level. Oh. The second clan, realising that bigotry could be an inclusive business after all, opened mm. their doors. Of course. Yeah, the first clan, all you needed to do was really hate black people, and then you could get your ticket in. But now, yeah. if you hated Jews or Catholics, you're more than welcome as well. Catholics? Oh, yeah. There's been a lot of... Uh, maybe it's something that I've not gone into much, but there's been a lot of anti-Catholic feeling. Mm. Don't forget uh, the uh, racism and uh, bigotry towards the Irish immigrants coming in. Uh, a lot of yeah, that of was course. based around Catholicism. There was, uh, right. in times we have covered, there's been a genuine fear that the Pope was trying to take over the country using Catholic immigrants coming into the country, that kind of ridiculousness. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, their, their main export was, was racism against black people in the Klan. Uh, well, but they were also selling hatred against Jews and the Catholics at this time as well. Well, yeah, yeah. got to have that. Now, due to this, uh, unlike the first clan, the second clan was not contained to the South, and also, importantly, was not contained to one political party. If you really branch out on your forms of bigotry, you can really become more inclusive, can't you? Yeah, yeah. it's true. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, in the mid-twenties, it's estimated that the membership was around five million people. Oh, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Colorado, Indiana, Kansas, Maine, Ohio, and Oregon all had very strong factions within them. And within these states and others, many politicians at all levels had their positions thanks to the Klan campaigning on their behalf. There was real genuine political movement going on here. That's really interesting, because I, I don't know, I, I don't know much about the Klan, to be honest, than the bit silly costumes. Um, but um, I had always assumed that it was more of the southern states thing. First Klan, yes, very much so. But... But it's more... <laughs> Yeah, now now they're letting bigots in from all over the place who hate pretty much anyone. Then yeah, yes. especially you said Maine. It surprised me. Big cities in particular. Poor people. People struggling to find jobs. Yeah. Um, seeing immigration. People of different religions. Yeah. The age-old stereotype of Jewish people pulling strings in the background. All of that yeah. nonsense. All of that is just being used and the clan grows across the country this is no longer a southern thing anymore now politicians backed by the clan distanced themselves from the lynchings the beatings the arson the just murder of innocent people 
Uh, yeah. That was a few rogue elements, they would claim. A few um, bad apples. Exactly. But few were fooled, if any. Everyone knew what the clan were up to, and everyone knew that a lot of politicians were in the clan's pocket, if not fully, literally paid-up members themselves. Uh, now, the organisation was powerful enough that the two major parties at a national level were cautious in what they said, not wishing to upset any support. The Ooh. Democrats, as we've seen over the last couple of decades, have been going through a bit of an internal revolution. What kind of party were they exactly? Were they the Conservative Party for the elites still? Or were they the Progressive Party of Brian, who's still knocking around, although not trying yeah. to be president anymore? Hmm. Most of the clan, it must be said, were still Democrat at this time. But the strong progressive faction within the Democrats displeased a lot of the clan members. Yeah. Yes, Wilson had been progressive, but he was also incredibly racist, which had qualified <laughs> yeah, the, the group. Yeah. Yeah. But that said, there were many in the Democrats who were progressive and not racist, uh, or mm -hmm. at least not for the standards of the day. Yeah. The Republicans, however, thought many of the Klan members, yeah, they were the party of Lincoln, but that was a long time ago. And Cordage had recently, soon after becoming president, pushed through a very strong immigration law, essentially closing the doors of the country. This is the strongest immigration laws we have seen yet. Wow. Um, so... They liked that. Plus, yeah. the Republicans mostly supported Prohibition, which the Klan also supported. To a number of the Klan, the Republicans no longer seemed necessarily to be the enemy. So, that's the lay of the land as the election comes into view. Many of the Republicans assumed that Coolidge, like I say, was a placeholder president. However, they underestimated his popularity with the public and his own resolve to get some legitimacy. Coolidge didn't want to just be a caretaker for a year and then disappear. No. He, he was there now. He, he wanted to well, stay. Prove yourself. Yeah. If anything, it's a cushy job. Yeah. If anything, it would just be a pain uninstalling Thunderbolt. So. Yeah, I'd have to get out of the house I've been seen as well. Yeah. Now, the main opposition to be nominated for running for the Republicans actually came from none other than Henry Ford. Wow. Now, this makes a lot of sense in a society that had increasingly declared that if you had a big business, you would win the American dream. You automatically must be a genius and exceptionally hardworking. So it makes sense that if you're a really good businessman, you are going to be a really good politician. The country will definitely do well under you. It was a, a common right. thought for the time. So Ford's name was doing the rounds across the whole country as a, a potential president. Some in the Republicans thought about drafting Ford in to run against Coolidge at the convention, in fact, despite the fact that Ford had previously run for a Senate seat, which he'd lost as a Democrat. Uh, yeah, Ford clearly has yeah. no real allegiance to either party, but he's a popular uh, name and he might get rid of Coolidge. Yeah, yeah. However, Coolidge soon saw off this threat. He met with Ford in the White House in a meeting that we have no details about. Soon after that meeting, Ford announced that Coolidge was a fantastic candidate and had his full support. <laughs> oh, and um, Ford had some promises about some factories in Alabama, something to do with privatising the hydroelectric <laughs> powder. It's just details, details. So we don't need yeah. to know those details. Minutia that doesn't need talking about right now. Exactly. All you need to know is that there was a meeting, and in the meeting, Ford realised Coolidge was the man for the job. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing All how it fine. Works. So, with no Ford to worry about, <laughs> Coolidge was unopposed, essentially. He received the nomination from the party unanimously. No one could go up against him. He was too popular. So, a somewhat reluctant party, or at least some members of the party, uh, yeah. but, but everyone got behind him. The Democratic Convention, however, in contrast, was a hot mess. 
Nice. Oh, yeah. Far more than the Republicans, the Democrats were being internally torn in two by this ideological split of theirs. And also, mm. they're being split into externally from pressures from the Klan. The two forerunners were Smith, a Catholic man who was vocally anti-Klan and anti-prohibition, and running Good. against him was a man we've met before. It's none other than McAdoo. McAdoo. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, that's, if you remember, Wilson's son-in-law. <laughs> Being yeah. a member of the Wilson family, you'd probably not be surprised to learn that McAdoo was pro-clan, pro-prohibition. Yeah. Oh, and he was also, on top of that, involved in the Teapot Dome scandal, even though he was a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, he, he'd taken some money to look the other way. Yeah, so forced to choose between a racist, corrupt, anti-drinking man and a Catholic, the Democrats were torn and could not decide. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, a whopping 102 ballots were cast over 10 days. As far oh. as I'm aware, that is a record to date, if not of all time. Well, it is, it's so tricky. I mean... Mm. Yeah, I mean, he is proven to be a liar, a cheat, a racist. But the other man is a religion. That is technically the same religion as us, just a different denomination. Mm. It's hard. It's very hard. I mean, there are good people on both sides. There are, so aren't there? It's, it's yeah. hard. To... Anyway, eventually, as per usual in these situations, a dark horse candidate gets put forward. A compromise. Mm. A man named Davies got the nomination. Davies started campaigning by denouncing the Klan. Yeah. And, in a political move, called upon Coolidge to do the same. Nice. Davies, uh, by the way, was a compromise that worked, because although he denounced the Klan publicly, he was, and I quote a recent biography here, sufficiently retrograde on racial policies to appeal to the party's white supremacists. Ah, uh, so all tour, but not really... Yeah, well, what I love is the fact that even... That 2006, this biography was written. Yeah. Uh, the verbal somersaults that people go through to avoid calling someone racist is yeah. amazing. It... Yeah. It's become disturbingly obvious that it is far more taboo in modern society to accuse someone of being racist than actually being racist. Yeah. Very depressing. So to to, yeah. to just summarise that, Davies <laughs> might publicly denounce the Klan, but he was a massive racist. So, right. yeah, the, the Democrats could get behind him. So anyway, in the political move, once Davies denounced the Klan, the pressure was on Coolidge to do the same. Hmm. Now, obviously in the North, there was a lot of Klan-supportive Republicans. Yeah. And Coolidge wasn't too keen on publicly saying things that would upset some people who would vote for him. So the closest he hmm. came to actually denouncing the Klan was to have a spokesman say for him, the president is not a member of that order and is not in sympathy with the aims and purposes. Thank you. <laughs> Ding dong. That's... It's not great. No. Yeah, that's, that's Coolidge's views, as ever. Yet uh. again, it's very hard to say what he's thinking. Uh, but it's not great, yeah. to say the least, is it? I mean, don't get me wrong, no. we're not talking Wilson levels of utter racism here. But, I, 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 come on. I mean, that is a, a, a literal terrorist organisation growing within your country. Perhaps maybe stand up to it, maybe. As president, maybe. Well, that's what presidents should do. Yeah. Anyway, he saw dealing with racism as uh, not the government's job, you'll be shocked to learn. Because what is the oh, government's job? Not. Yeah. Uh, race Money. <laughs> race difficulties are, and I'll, I'll quote Coolidge here, to a large extent, a local problem. 
What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An amazing statement, which yet again is something that means literally nothing. No. Name one thing that's not a local problem to some extent. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to yeah. point out, and this is side the point in a way, if you if you go on Coolidge's Wikipedia page, in the very first paragraph, it, it mentions that although he does not go down in history as one of the greatest presidents, he is often praised for his dedication in the area of racism and ending racism. I haven't heard anything like that so far. Yeah, I'm very confused. I really am. Anyway, another anti-lynching bill was put forth, you'll be pleased to know. Oh, is that why he's praised? Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) Someone else has a go at trying to actually stop all these lynchings going on. Yeah, Coolidge did very little to help it pass. It did not pass. It just wasn't on Coolidge's to-do list. Uh, As you can imagine, this was like a federal bill, a federal level. Uh, Coolidge, no. No, small government. Uh, And once, uh, still talking about race relations here, whilst talking to a predominantly black audience, Coolidge told those listening that he admired their progress. But, and I quote... The Anglo-Saxon race has been centuries in reaching its present position, and that the Negro could not and must not expect to bridge that chasm in just a century. Yes, your face is saying it all. That's not okay. It's it's really not okay, is it? It's, It's still this idea that black citizens of America were somehow not living in the same country as everyone else, and had some catching up to do. Bloody hell. Which will probably take more than 100 years. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's not good. Although it should be noted, uh, this uh, this quote comes directly from Barton, and maybe this is Barton making up a story that he knew many readers would approve of, because many readers were horribly racist. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, there is that. Still, if that is the case, it was in Coolidge's name, and he certainly didn't object to it being said. So... Yeah, not great. No. Yeah, most black people who were able to vote, because obviously voting suppression is still going on, uh, were Mm -hmm. still very much behind the party of Lincoln. They're still still Republican. But the cracks are really starting to show now. The civil rights leader, W.E.B. Du Bois, said, May God write us down as asses, if ever again we are found putting our trust in either the Republican or the Democratic parties. So yeah, Yeah. uh, as you can see, cracks definitely starting to show. Yeah. Yeah, it's not looking great. Anyway, the election's hotting up. It was going very well for Coolidge, but then tragedy struck. Tragedy! Yeah, not good. The president's two sons were playing tennis in the White House courts. Was the judge annoyed? Exactly how bad do you think this could go? Well, there's an ultimate bad. Yeah? Like, death. Yeah, one of them's dead in a week, Jamie. How? How? What were they playing with? TNT? They walk onto the tennis court, a week later one of them's dead. Calvin Jr., had not bothered to put socks on. Did he get trench foot? Not trench foot. He soon developed a blister on his toe. Smallpox. Not smallpox. Two days after this, he developed a high fever and red streaks appeared on his leg. Tests were conducted. That's an the, infection. The blood blister on his toe had let in bacteria. A staph infection occurred. Oh, yeah, yeah. You need quite a lot of antibiotics for that. Yeah, there's a problem with that. Alexander Fleming is currently the head of bacteriology in the University of London, and although he had noticed a couple of years previously that nasal mucus stops bacterial growth slightly, this discovery went nowhere. In fact, Fleming is four years away from discovering penicillin. It's a shame he's growing all these trees as well in his back garden, he has no idea. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, Calvin Jr. became delirious. Uh, his family watched on in horror as it became clear that he wasn't going to make it. Wow. Yeah. Such a small thing. Yeah, yeah. It really brings home how important antibiotics are. Y- you could die from a blister. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Calvin Jr. died in the evening of June the 7th. The Ooh. Democratic convention that was going on at this time, and it was called to a halt immediately. The country mourned with the president and his wife. Many remarked later that Coolidge was a changed man after this. I'll quote Coolidge here. When he went, the power and the glory of the presidency went with him. Oh. Yeah. Still, the election carried on as the family mourned. And with the Republicans more unified, and with the economy strong, and with the backing of the big business, obviously. The Republicans, by the way, had four times the money to spend on the election than the Democrats. Uh, and also with public sympathy with Coolidge, uh, because of yeah. what he's just gone through. Uh, understandably, the Republicans won in a northern landslide. An easy yeah. victory for Coolidge. Not only did they beat the Democrats by 15 million votes to 8 million votes. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. That does not account for the fact that there's actually still the quite popular third progressive party at this time. And they had got 4.8 million votes, and they get a lot of their support by arguably Republican voters. Yeah. So uh, if it wasn't for the third party, they possibly would have done even better. But even then, the Republicans get more votes than the Democrats and the Progressives put together. It was just a drumming of the opposition. Electoral College, Republicans 382, Democrats 136. So, Coolidge is now president in his own right. He's actually been voted in, and he starts by doing some reorganisation. To begin with, he puts forth a man named Warren to be his new Attorney General. However, after riding such a wave of uh, popularity to victory, Coolidge seems to have forgotten that many in his party weren't actually that keen on him. (laughs) They certainly weren't keen on Warren, who was currently under investigation for antitrust practices. Excellent. Yeah, it's just, just another corrupt businessman just being popped in a cushy job, Attorney General, why not? Splendid. Yeah. Due to this, and the lack of any prep work whatsoever with Congress, uh, when it came to confirm the appointment, the Senate was actually tied. I mean, this should have walked through, and it didn't. But it's fine. If there's a tie in the Senate, the Vice President Uh, gets the deciding vote. And obviously, the new Vice President was going to vote in Coolidge's favour. Obviously. Uh, unfortunately for him, the new vice president was having a nap at the time. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yes. He was quickly awoken and he rushed to the Capitol building, but it was too late. The voting was over. Warren's oh. nomination was defeated and Coolidge was left very embarrassed that his first move as the president after being elected had been shot down by his own party. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the setback, however, Coolidge soon started to get back into his routine. He carries on with his delegation. When the Undersecretary of State came to him about the administration's China policy, Coolidge replied, I don't know anything about this. You do, Mr. Gru, and you're in charge. You settle the problem, I'll back you up. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Which, I'm still torn. Part of me goes, come on, you're the president, you should be more involved. Part of me goes... Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still talking about international affairs, let's talk about international affairs, shall we? The biggest thing to cross Coolidge's desk in the early days of his second term was the World Court. The World Court oh. was created as the judicial arm of the League of Nations and was created to try and keep nations from going to war with each other to settle their differences. Fair enough. We could settle it in a World Court, thought some leaders in the world. Yeah. 
What on Europe, obviously, we're very keen to see this go well. So we don't want another war anytime soon. <coughs> yeah, that'd be awful. That cost a lot of money. World War One. Well, I'm glad we've seen the end of that. Yes, woo. Yeah. But the United States, obviously, had a very different view on the League of Nations and anything involved with it. Uh, they were very cautious about joining the League and, in the end, had decided against it. Well, they were just as cautious about joining this court. Now, joining the court was not the same as joining the League of Nations. It's not full-up signing up membership. No. Many in the United States saw this as a largely positive thing. Harding and then Coolidge had, again cautiously, expressed their support. Mm. It's the least we could do kind of attitude, since we're not joining <laughs> the League. Let's, let's yeah. go on. They, they so desperately want us to join. Maybe we'll give some legitimacy to the court if we join. Uh, the mm. Senate took up the issue, and a few conditions were created before the US would join. First of all, it needed to be made really, really super, super clear, like in really big font, that joining the court did not mean the US were in any way thinking about joining the League of Nations. No, we're not. We're not doing it. No. <laughs> Secondly, there needed to be several amendments that really, really limited the court's authority over the United States. In other words, yeah, we'll join the court, we'll make it seem more legitimate, but we don't want you having the power to say anything over us at all. This is a one-way street. we'll have the power for you, yeah. yes. <laughs> the League of Nations saw this list of demands, read them over a bit. Interesting, they think. Let's invite the US to formally discuss this. Let's see if we can hammer out some of the, uh, the kinks. Yeah. Perhaps we can come to an understanding. When Coolidge heard that the United Nations wanted to come to an understanding... He replied, I don't see any necessity for discussion on our part. Oh. Yeah. And then the whole thing pretty much dies a death after this. It just wow. just dies away. There's a bit more wrangling, but it doesn't go anywhere ultimately. So there's uh, no, no compromise there at all, is no, there? No, not really. The United States just decide not to join. It's almost, it's almost the mentality of, look what we've done. Look how amazing we are. Look how rich we're becoming. We don't need anyone else. We're, we're fine. Seeing it from the United States perspective, though, they will be seeing the United Nations and the uh, the court that goes with it as the old world yeah. still bickering and fighting. Yes, that's What's true. What's that got to do with the new world? What's that got to do with the United States? Why should that's we be drawn point. into their messy squabbling? Yeah. Signing up to laws that we'll have no say in from half a world away. Didn't we fight a revolution to get away from that kind of thing? That's a very, very good argument. Yeah. yeah. However, the counter-argument was, seriously, people need to stop fighting these wars that are getting worse and worse as technology improves. Surely we should be coming up with some international diplomatic approaches that, that will yeah. stop the fighting. Maybe that's a good idea. Because it would be awful in under 20 years' time we invent a weapon that could destroy entire cities. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Imagine that. During another world war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, elsewhere internationally, Coolidge was having to deal with problems with the Americas. The economic and literal invasions had been increasing. The United States was pretty much running an estimated 10 different countries at this time in Central and South America by simply walking Marines in, aiding in their elections and yeah, uh, yeah. politicians just suddenly making certain decisions that yeah. aided certain businesses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Coolidge did, early in his second term, to be fair, recall the Marines from the Dominican Republic. Uh, but elsewhere, the dominance of the United States was starting to really strain diplomatic relations across the continent. Mm. It's, like, it's, like, it's like an e economic empire. Yeah. Rather than a... 
yeah, yeah. although there are actual invasions going on yeah but, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but also economic invasions as well yeah. yeah what's what's happening here unfortunately is just far too sprawling and complex to fit into the narrative of our podcast uh maybe in season two we could find someone that will give us a good narrative and we can look yeah. into it in more detail uh, but for now let's just take a very brief look at just one example of many so let's take a look at nicaragua which we've come across a few times before uh, now, the United States had helped topple the president of Nicaragua in 1909, <laughs> claiming, that the, <laughs> claiming that they were helping to protect the lives of all the American citizens that were there. Of uh, course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but in actuality, it was all wrapped up in prospects of the Nicaraguan canal that was still being mooted. Then, in 1912, a revolt against the U.S. propped-up government led to the U.S. puppet president inviting the United States to go in and put down the revolution. So that for the last 13 years, from the time we are in, in the podcast, Nicaragua had been fully occupied by the US Marines. So, like, full-on invasion here. Yeah. So, mm. we get to 1925, Coolidge is now president, and the United States Marines have just overseen a set of elections. The results went the right way, shall we say. Wonderful. Yeah. Splendid. Yeah. And uh, it was deemed that the country was now stable enough to pull out. The US troops would leave... And the regime that the US had put in place would be able to keep the United States business interests in place. Wonderful. Excellent. Yeah. As soon as the last Marine left, literally foot on to the boat, uh, the entire country exploded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Civil war just erupts. It's, it's strange. If you had over a decade of uh, occupation and then the occupiers leave, uh, surprise, surprise, uh, civil war uh, starts when the occupiers leave. The US puppet president was overthrown and the country set up a new leader, uh, a, a military dictator. Oh yeah. Coolidge decided, okay, let's send the troops back then because uh, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> let's go and set up a new government, one that would protect the business that the United States have there properly this time. And this is what happens. The Marines invade once more in 1926. However, the new puppet president had trouble, because the old vice president from the old US regime had fled to Mexico and still wanted power. Mexico were going through their own problems and diplomatic strains with the United States, which we touched on slightly in Harding's episode. Yeah. So, as you can see, it's all a little bit of a mess. Yeah. As Coolidge told reporters, and I quote... This government is not taking sides, one way or another, in relation to this revolution. <laughs> a apart from the literal troops that we've sent in to support one side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Apart from that. yeah. <clears throat> Peacekeepers. Of course. Congress, to begin with, were not keen on drawing this conflict out. It just didn't look good. It looked a little bit imperial. It had been going on for the best part of a year now. Uh, it's not been sorted. Coolidge determined to set Nicaragua on the track that would most benefit the United States spoke to Congress. Again, I quote, there is no question that if the revolution continues, American investments and business interests in Nicaragua will be seriously affected, if not destroyed. Oh. Many yeah. in Congress were not happy about this. Coolidge has just said the quiet part out loud. It's meant to be about helping US citizens that happen to be in the area. You're not meant to just Immensely. say we're in it for the business. No. No. Uh, but, no. I mean, this is Coolidge. It's just to the point. <laughs> and the point he made was a strong one, because he made it to a room full of rich businessmen. 
who were also <laughs> politicians. Yeah. Yeah. Congress got behind him. Coolidge sent out more Marines. However, due to pressures to find a diplomatic solution, Coolidge also sent an ambassador down to see what he could do. The ambassador, a man named Stimson, uh, was given a clear instruction from Coolidge. I'll quote, If you find a chance to straighten the matter out, I want you to do so. <laughs> Kills them. <laughs> Kill all of them. Well, with that really, really precise and detailed brief, uh, <laughs> Stimson... Yeah. Heads on down. With the nice. carrot of a diplomatic agreement and the stick of more marines in their country, uh, Stimson was able to actually bring together a, a very dubious coalition government. It was agreed that there would be an election in 1928, and then another election in 1932, and if they go the right way, I mean, if they go well, if they're fair, um, <laughs> the United States would withdraw in 1933. It was agreed right. upon. Uh, okay. And there you go. That's as much as what happens in Coolidge's presidency. I don't want to go too far in the future, but just so you know, things don't go well. No. <laughs> the internal tensions Imagine. that this occupation caused resulted in decades of civil war within the country. Eventually, the family that the US backed at this time were overthrown in the 1960s. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and then things spiralled again. And yeah. So anyway, this is one example of how United States dominance over the continent was going for the other countries in the continent. Like yeah. I say, you can easily tell another nine similar stories of this time. I just don't have time to go into it all. No. Anyway, the other countries in the Americas were starting to get a little bit fed up with this. <laughs> Oi! In Havana in 1928, during the International Conference of American States, uh, Coolidge attended. Uh, only the second time he ever left the country. Uh, he mm. went to Cuba and he delivered the keynote address. He highlighted how the countries of the Americas had far more in common than what separated them, how they needed to work together. It was a rip-roaring speech. Yeah. A room full of global leaders and diplomats watched on, I can only assume, in a grim silence. <laughs> Coolidge then left the conference, looking forward to getting home, rubbing his hands together. Excellent, that's that done. Job done. He left uh, a delegate behind to actually iron out all the details, but he'd done his keynote speech, so off he went home, as did many of the leaders, and just left behind ambassadors to deal with the, the details. Uh, Mexico, El Salvador, and in particular Argentina, then got together and proposed a resolution. The conference would formally denounce any country interfering with any other country in the Americas. Ooh. And whilst they did that, they would all really pointedly stare at the United States. <laughs> One after another, the delegates from each country in attendance rose and offered their full support for the resolution. Uh, Charles Hughes, the delegate, the delegate that had remained on behalf of the United States, sort of squirmed, squirmed in his seat for a while. Uh, however, when Hughes got up to speak to defend the United States and their involvement in the Americas, the power of the United States at the time was in full display, because due to his speech and also a few little backroom manoeuvres, it was suddenly decided that all discussions on interventionalism could wait until the next conference. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> we'll kick that can down the road. Yeah. So, Coolidge is back in the United States, and he's dealing with internal matters by this point. Things are still looking good in the United States for many. Yeah. The world was moving forward. Everything was all very exciting. In fact, a young man named Charles Lindbergh yeah. had been the first person to fly over the Atlantic in an aeroplane. Yes. He'd flown from New York to Paris in a mere 33.5 hours. <laughs> 
Oh, it's insane. Yeah. Celebration of this achievement caught the imagination of the country. Uh, festival atmosphere. Soon enough, Limburg stamps were being created. A national holiday was called for. Limburg met with Coolidge. Full military escort had returned him home. And a parade was had by the Washington Monument. All very exciting stuff. Coolidge gave a speech and talked about Limburg's unconquerable will, inspired by the imagination and spirit of his Viking ancestors. So there you go. Nice. Vikings known for that New York to Paris flight. Yes. <laughs> One journalist wrote at the time, Limburg has shown us that we are not rotten to the core, but morally sound <laughs> and sweet and good. Yeah. This, of course, obviously is before it was discovered that if Limburg loved one thing more than aviation, it was hating Jewish people and being a Nazi sympathiser. I didn't realise that. Oh, yes. I've forgotten that. <laughs> yeah. That's a shame, oh, isn't dear. it? Yeah. Yeah. It's taking the shine off that picture. Yeah, but no one no one realised that at the time. It was all, no. it was all celebrations. Uh, it was technological advancements. Look what we've yeah. achieved. Coolidge used the celebratory atmosphere to his advantage. He very much hitched his wagon onto this this idea that the country was just doing very well. And the country were behind him. So he decided, you know what, let's give this tax thing another go. He was backed by the very powerful American Bankers League. However, the American Bankers League had had a bit of a, a, a bit of a chin wag, and they'd uh, come up with a name change to the far more reassuring name of the American Taxpayers League. <laughs> that sounds less corporation and sinister, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, with the Taxpayer League working lobbying and um, with Mellon and Coolidge's popularity at the time, uh, everyone started working hard to push for a new tax reform. The taxes would be taken down to literally zero for most people, and the very richest in the country would pay only 20% on the extra wealth they earned. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Coolidge also went in hard on his philosophy of small government during the worst environmental disaster in the Gulf Coast in all American history, bar Hurricane Katrina. This is the Great oh. Flood of 1927. Now, this started due to heavy rain in the central basin of the Mississippi in 1926. Uh, the river slowly but very surely swelled over the next few months. Uh, over 140 levees broke local workers start, started to work around the clock to attempt to hold the floods back but to no avail. Uh, the Mississippi's big and when it floods mm. it floods big. In April a levee broke so suddenly that it led to the deaths of over a hundred workers who were working along the river mostly from poor wow. black neighbourhoods. And obviously these were the communities most affected. An estimated 200,000 black citizens were left homeless and living in refugee camps. An estimated 400,000 people on top of this had severe disruption to their lives. Wow. Yeah, this was a big environmental disaster. Yeah. Coolidge got right on the case. He told Hoover that he was in charge <laughs> and went and had a cigar. Excellent. However... <laughs> Many people wanted Coolidge to do a bit more than this. Maybe go and visit the sites, Coolidge. Maybe go and, I don't know, just, just go and reassure people it's going to be okay. Do, do something, Coolidge. Do something. Get off, get off that horse and just... <laughs> oh, seriously. Anything to aid the country at all. He doesn't do it, does he? Well, Coolidge flatly refused. Oh. He feared that if he did that, more pressure would be put on the federal government. 
it was not the federal government's job to help these people, it was the state's. It's a local issue. It is a local issue. Now, some celebrated Coolidge's approach, saying that it would do the states good to have some freedom to organise their own support. However, most, especially obviously in the areas actually hit, were utterly appalled by this. In fact, I'll quote one journalist at the time, Coolidge either has the coldest heart in America or the dullest imagination, and we are ready to believe he has both. Yeah, starting to agree with that a little bit. Yeah. That was around this time, whilst on holiday in the Black Hills, he needed a break. Yeah, yeah, apparently I checked. It didn't seem like he went to Deadwood, though. Um. (laughs) I did check. Uh, if you did go, I couldn't find mention of it. Yeah, he's he's on holiday. Uh, Coolidge gathered a group of reporters around. He sat there silently and pulled out some slips of paper and handed them out, and then left the room. On the bits of paper, it said the following. I do not choose to run for president in 1928. Oh. Coolidge just refused to take any questions after this, but eventually he would point out that if he ran for another term and got it, he would be president for ten years, which was too long for any man. Uh, And so there you go. Coolidge announced he was stepping down. Uh, Incidentally, as a little insight into his and Grace's uh, relationship, Grace was asked later on that day about her husband's announcement, and her reply was, What announcement? (laughs) <laughs> oh, splendid Yeah. Anyway, for the next year, uh, he was a lame duck president uh, Some of the stuff covered already in the episode actually happened past this point But for narrative reasons, I've, I've juggled yeah. it around a bit But mostly, everything wound down after this point uh, He still struggled to get on with Congress He still pushed for the low taxes and the small government um, Oh, and he went to Hollywood and visited MGM Studios. Yeah. yeah, the film Road to Romance was being filmed at this time. Apparently, yeah. this film, like all the greats do, had a trained bear called Bruno in it. <laughs> Splendid. <laughs> Golden age of Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately for the studio, uh, not only did they have to deal with the president visiting that day, they also had to deal with the fact that the bear escaped and went on a rampage. Oh, fantastic. Apparently, Coolidge found this hilarious and quite uncharacteristically (laughs) spent his time laughing at the scene of people attempting to keep him safe from a rampaging bear. (laughs) It is quite ridiculous, though, when you think about it. (laughs) It's the rampaging bear going through a Hollywood set and lots of Secret Service men trying to desperately protect the president who is just laughing at them. Yeah. It's a farcical end. <laughs> yes, it is. Although I should point out, um, when this happened, I saw two different uh, cases. I read somewhere that the, this happened after his presidency, but I read somewhere that it happened during. Um, so I'm not 100% certain, but it happened. Not exactly Either sure way, when. It's brilliant. It's a great little story for the end. Uh, anyway, once Coolidge did retire, he went back to his small little house that he'd come from. He smoked cigars on his porch. He watched those passers-by watching him. And he lived his life of retirement. And then watched the entire country fall apart around him. Excellent. Yeah. He died in 1933, saying to a friend shortly beforehand, I feel I no longer fit in with these times. 1933. Wow. That's that's called just presidency. Interesting. That's right. Statesmanship. Okay, judging him's going to be a bit weird. It's really hard, uh, but let's give it yeah. a go. Uh, statesmanship. Good. Right. Positives. If you supported his views on government and taxes, you were happy. And I need to keep reminding myself of this because 
and it's going to become more and more obvious than it's already been so far. My personal biases are definitely starting to show through the more modern we get. Well, it's going to happen. It's natural. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm just baffled by this this idea <laughs> that running a country like that is a good idea. But there were lots of people in America who thought it was a good idea, and they would have been yeah. very happy with their president yeah. uh, doing low taxes, small government. Yeah. So if you supported him, you would have been very happy. Uh, the tax break benefited the rich hugely more than anyone else, and the trickle-down economics, as per usual, did not work. But it must be said that most people were better off under his leadership due to the tax cuts. Most people were happy with them. Yeah, uh, You can argue how fair they were or you want, but it doesn't change the fact that most people approved of them and people were happy. He defended the amount of time he spent not working by pointing out that it was in the nation's interest that he had long naps. Because the <laughs> more he napped, the less he would be able to initiate as the government. He really believed in small government. The less he did, the better he was doing his job. It wasn't just laziness. This was a genuine political philosophy of his. Strategy. Yeah, he did not want the government to be doing things. So I mean, that's uh, that's what I've got for positive. Let's uh, let's yeah. go on to negative. Um, back to the economy here. He resigned just before the crash, and we've not talked about the crash because it's not happened yet. And it's also very hard to judge. I mean, as ever, it's very easy to put too much importance on the person in the White House in regards to the economy. How much impact yeah. do they really have? Is it wider issues? Uh, but that said, Harding and then Coolidge and Mellon's approach to the economy certainly did not help the upcoming crash. No, this has been like a systematic, almost like a cancer going through the, yeah. the economy for decades. I mean, not being psychic, Coolidge couldn't have predicted it. No one was sitting around predicting the crash was coming. No one foresaw this. So it's not like he was warned and he ignored the dangers. No. But, on the whole, the the government should do nothing to help the suffering and the businesses can do whatever they like attitude is going to cause a lot of suffering in the near future. Yeah, it, it almost... It like from that, um, the, the, the equation to get that philosophy of big business, you almost have to ignore the factor of uh, human greed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, for all Wilson's faults, of which he had many, uh, if he had been president in the years leading up to the crash, can't help but feel that the blow would have been cushioned a little bit more. Possibly. Yeah. In fact, I've got a quote from Coolidge here to sum up yet again his uh, philosophy of government. Unfortunately, human nature cannot be changed by an act of legislature. It is too much assumed that because an abuse exists, it is the business of the national government to remedy it. But I'd argue if the national government is not attempting to right the abuses made on its citizens, yeah. what is the point in having a national government? That is true. So there you go. The other thing, uh, race issues. Yeah, that's not great. I mean, no. we've seen a lot worse really quite recently, but come on now. Uh, he he does nothing to try and put down the growing terrorists in his own country yeah. attempting to suppress democratic freedoms. Yeah, it, it's, it's the bare minimum taken to extremes. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't make anything in any way better. He doesn't, it just doesn't seem to concern him. And it really should be, because it's very obviously very bad. Yeah. Should mention here, because I didn't mention it in the main narrative, um, under Coolidge, all Native Americans become citizens. Oh. Yeah, if you lived on um, a, a reservation, then you are now a citizen. 
Uh, that had very okay. little to do with the president, however, uh, which is why I didn't include it in the main narrative. It's just something that was passed during his time, uh, although he didn't oppose it. It is quite complex to go through, though. It had supporters and detractors from people uh, all through the United States, including Native Americans, who felt yeah. it was eroding their uh, identity. Uh, but many were for it because of uh, <laughs> more rights. Protections. Yeah, protections yeah. of rights. So, yeah, it was a hotly debated topic, uh, but important, so I thought I'd mention yeah. it now. Um, then there's uh, some stuff uh, to do with Europe that I've not gone into, dealing with Germany, doors going over, dealing with the debts there, uh, which I, I just did not have time to go into that and I figured that's it's really fascinating it's though. fascinating but I took the executive decision that that is more European history and yes although it definitely has an impact going into World War Two, yeah. Cordage wasn't on the forefront Cordage said no. go and do whatever you want, uh, need to do to yeah. get it done and then sat back so yeah because the, cr- the crash that happens um, directly again influences Germany because America goes, oh, we know that money we lent to you. Yeah. <laughs> could, we, could we have Having back? that back, please? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But no, that's going on as well. But like I say, college wasn't really that involved in it. It's the problem when you've got a hands-off approach to government, if anything does happen under you, you can't really take any credit. But then, how mm. much blame can you take? So That's true. So there you go. Like I say, tricky one to judge. Five, because I'm undecided. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it as well. Um, he certainly... <laughs> didn't seem to harm the country but he didn't seem to actively try and make it better he did not help citizens in his country but that's why he had a lot of support from people and i'm trying not to let my personal biases cloud too much on that Mm. yeah middle of the road i'm going five i wonder how americans feel now like are are they more sort of we want more input from the federal but this is uh, what's interesting is uh when people talk about the Democrats changing over time and the Republicans mm. changing over time. Like, how did Lincoln's party get to Reagan's party? Well, this is now far more recognisably the modern Republican party than yeah. Lincoln's Republican party. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're there, and we're only sixty years on from the formation of the party. Wow, yeah. So yeah, we're we're starting to see the modern Republicans here. Interesting. And obviously, there's a lot of support for modern Republicans and their way of doing politics. It is a a popular yeah. view. Yeah. Small government, low taxes. Uh, so yeah, I'm sticking with my five. I'm happy yeah, with my me five. Too. Ten. Disgrace. I, I don't know, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you get snippets that make me think, oh, you get the feeling you'd be an awful person to be around. You get some snippets mm. that he was a horrible father, a really awful husband. <laughs> but then it's only tiny snippets, and it's it's like, you know, you, maybe I'm reading too much into these little snippets. Maybe Grace didn't want to be involved in the politics. Maybe. Maybe it yeah. bored her, so that's why she wasn't yeah. involved. Maybe the strictness with his sons was just it's Victorian upbringing. And yeah. kind of, kind of, that's how fathers were back then. Uh, and you get all these stories of him being a practical joker, and you do see some of the humour start to come through, more so in some of his comments in this episode <laughs> than the last episode. And with the bear, I mean, that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, him laughing at the bear rampaging around <laughs> MGM Studios, that's brilliant. Savaging a poor dog. <laughs> <laughs> but equally, it's like, it's not... I get the feeling that he was just a bit of an empty shell of a man, Barton mm. came along and just filled him with this fake personality, and that was yeah. done so strongly that it's still been retained today. Is that why people 
some one or two comments have been that I'm like I'd be like Coolidge if oh, I was a Oh yes, I'd forgotten about going back. Dead inside. Is that why? I think it's because you're dead inside, Jamie. And I think that comes across. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm guessing cool. and I might be wrong here. Uh, people have to get in contact. I'm guessing it's more the if you were president, you'd do a bit of work in the morning go for a nap, have a go on your vibrating machine and just hope that everyone else is getting the job done because... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the way to do it. It's a bit like when we set up this podcast and you decided the roles and yeah. uh, you decided that I'd do all the research. Yeah. Delegation. And all the editing. Yeah, yeah. And the artwork. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. Delegation. And you did it very yeah. well. And Thank you. Yeah, yeah, did. That's good. And, and you're dead inside. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, um, I, I, do, I, do we count that? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think... Though. Do we count that against him? Is that disgraceful? I, I think I, I think I can summon up a point for the fact that he clearly did not work very hard as president. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I can go much more than just a point for that. No. Because it's not like the country fell apart because he didn't work very hard. It's not no, it's because true. he was being lazy. That was his genuine political philosophy of how it should what, be done. What about the, the, the flooding, though? Because that sounds like, oh, you know, it's yes, the worst fence of Katrina. You're absolutely right. How did I forget that? Yeah, you could almost argue that it was his Katrina. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very good point. Because then it actually started to really impact on people who needed actual help. But maybe mm. that should be in statesmanship, though. That's not his personal. But it's his personal it's belief in though. government, isn't it? It overlaps. You know what? I'm going to throw another point into this round for so that. You take, you're knocking off two. Yeah. I, uh, um, I'm going to match you because, again, I'm a bit... I'm not quite sure what to do. You know, I, I'm already hearing the typing of people on Twitter and Facebook criticising our scoring for college. I, I feel lost at sea. I don't feel like I've got a yeah. firm idea on him at all. No. <laughs> um, right, silver screen. Silver screen. Uh, well, he, he was born uh, on a farm. His mother died and his sister died in quick succession, remember? All very sad. Uh, he was painfully shy around people. He went to school, he studied, he finished, he became a lawyer. He met Grace, and then he climbed the greasy pole. Yeah, Steadily, mechanically, just up that greasy pole. <laughs> yeah. All the way up to the governor of Massachusetts. Uh, we got the Boston police strike. You could make some drama out of that, I imagine. Although his role in it was, you know, uh, <laughs> whilst people <laughs> raged around him. Uh, he was the unexpected vice president. He didn't want the job, but he got given it. Uh, yeah. And then Harding dies. He becomes the president. And then, I don't know, you tell me. We've literally just done the episode. You've got three things to say exciting that happened during his presidency, and you've got five seconds to think of it. Five, four, Katrina, Nicaragua, three, two, one. And the, the games, the games in the tranks in the in the White House. Right. So, okay, you could do an entire episode of him ringing his bell at the start, and then he hides behind a curtain, and yeah. the entire episode is just an empty office with the occasional staffer <laughs> walking through, looking worried. Yeah. That could be one episode. <laughs> and the tension. The tension as well you could do. The staff. Yeah. You also mentioned uh, Nicaragua. Yeah, no, you could do something around the whole Banana Wars thing. Um, but I think that's more... That's not as Coolidge series, I don't think. You know, I don't think you could no. do that in an episode. Like in this episode, I had to focus on one small aspect of it as an example rather than covering it properly. And yeah. you mentioned Katrina. That happens during the second Bush's presidency. So... Um, yes. <laughs> Probably can't really be part of this. I thought I said flooding, but fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> 
if you did and I've misheard you, yeah, no. I will edit that out. Uh, but no, I'm fairly no, sure your secretary. You're probably right. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, did. the flooding. You could probably do the flooding. Um, yeah. Then he resigns. Oh no, sorry, missed. Obviously, his son dies of a tennis blister. You could genuinely get some good stuff out of that. Um, yeah. Then he he resigns. Uh, and then he's chased by a bear whilst laughing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'd end on a high. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, maybe try and make the second half of the entire series just his visit to the MGM studios, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Could turn it into a kind of alien scenario where the bear's hunting them down one by one. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Near, we don't know where it is, don't know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> just the cackling laughter of a man who's never broken a smile before. Oh, and, and, they, <laughs> and, they, and they walk into a room that's full of, uh, uh, like, fur coats. <laughs> And then suddenly one, an eye just opens behind one of them. <laughs> See a toothy grin. You're right, this series needs to be made. <laughs> <laughs> ten. Ten out of ten. Um, what was the bear called? Uh, Bruno. Br- Bruno. I was proud oh. of found, finding that fact. That was uh, yeah. an obscure book I found the actual name of the bear in. Yeah. Yeah. Bruno and Coleridge. It's not great, is it? No, I'd struggle. I think the audience would be as confused as we are now. (laughs) I mean, you'd you'd have to make a very firm decision on what Coolidge's character is first and really roll with it. Yeah, soulless. I would go with um, very shy. I'd I'd play it that way. I think you can get more out of it, more depth. I'm I'm going two. I really don't think it's it's very filmic. Two as well. Yeah, I'll go with two. I'll, I'll match no, I don't want to pressure you if you want to go something else. No, 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 no you go, no, go no, for two. No. Go for two. Okay. Nope. Four. Oh, he, he looks a man of the twenties, isn't he? Wow. <laughs> he does look like a man from the twenties. <laughs> he, he looks a bit, a bit wrinkly, but in a weird way. Because he looks very slim. Yeah, I know, in yeah, the twenties, slim, chic sort of thing. He's got his very combed reddish hair. Um, it's like a velvet jacket as well. He looks utterly miserable. He really does. He, look, he looks like he's got some really bad news on that bit of paper, doesn't he? He really like, does. He's just staring into the abyss. Maybe someone's asked him to do something. <laughs> His, uh, uh th- what, the thund- Thunderbolt. <laughs> thund- <laughs> Thunderbolt's broke down, so it's been taken away for repairs for the afternoon. And that's his face. Can you see now why people were so amused when the story broke of Thunderbolt? Because he is the yeah. president, all very serious, and the idea of him yeah. going up to his room and just booking Dying around, around. <laughs> yeah. on his electronical hobby horse. Yeah, yeah, many jokes were made about it, apparently. Oh, of course. Uh, including one that I quite liked, although paraphrasing this off the top of my head, but someone said that his hobby horse was like his foreign policy because it had neither head nor tail, which uh, oh. I thought was quite amusing. Because nice. if you see an image of one of these hobby horses, it literally is just a barrel with a handle on it. It no way looks like a horse. Brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, back to the picture. He's he's sat down, mm. pinstripe trousers. He's on a chair. He looks miserable. He looks like a man from the twenties. He does. Yeah. It's not. It's not great. I'm not impressed at all by that. No. I'm going with a three. I'm going. Uh, any reason to go higher than a three? No. I'll join you. <laughs> So 1.5. 1.5 for canvas ability. Bonus! Terms 1. He served one full term and a bit of another one. Uh, assassination, 0. He was not killed. No one tried to kill him. Election, landslide, 71.9%. And when you consider that was a three-party election, that is astoundingly mm. good. Um, How many points is that? So that is two points for election. That's a, there you go. 
Oh, should probably mention we got the score for Harding wrong last time. Oh, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. Um, I think he got two more points than whatever we said he got. Okay, well, I've added this up, right, because it's quite easy to do. Go on, then. What's he got this time? Uh, 14.5. 14.5? Well, he beat Harding. He'd be pleased yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, Wasn't so scandally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But is he an American? American or American? Father of the modern Republican Party, you could argue, or you could argue that's Harding. But he, he, he took it to the extreme, though, didn't he? Yeah, he, him and Mellon. Re- Reagan loved them. We'll, we'll find that out when we get to Reagan. He was a he was a big Coolidge fan, was Reagan. I mean, it's obviously no, but... It is a no. I don't know why we're hesitating no. so long, to be honest. It's a very obvious no. There's no spark. No. There's some weird anecdotes that I'm just not in any way convinced are true. No. Apart from the bear one, that's brilliant. Oh, the bear one, yeah. The bear one's good. But yeah, sorry, Coolidge. Not good enough. But there you go. That's no. Coolidge. No, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Got Hoover next. Herbert. Herbert, Herbert Hoover. Right, okay, so that's uh, that's this week. It's, uh, it's not a great score, it's no American, um, but we, we got uh, a rampaging bear, so it's not all yeah. losses, yeah. and a, a booking electronic horse. I mean, what more can you ask for? Exactly. Uh, that's uh, why I started this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- yeah. Uh, thank you for downloading some Podbean and iTunes, and... And let's actually read a review, because we forgot oh. last time. First time ever in this podcast. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's start out... With some British reviews, and then we'll we're, we're, we're pop across the pond, <laughs> shall we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, see if there's a difference in tone. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are these British guys doing? Please cease. <laughs> <laughs> I've contacted my lawyer. <laughs> Uh, this uh, this review is our most recent one in Britain, anyway. Uh, it is by Er, uh, and the title of the review is Jerry, and the review right. simply says Oh Harding. <laughs> so that, that's good. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, right. Perhaps a more detailed one here. This is a review by Annabelle. Hi. I'm Annabelle, I'm 17, and I'm absolutely loving your podcast. Before listening to these podcasts, I was pretty ignorant when it came to the American presidential system, but now I don't feel like a complete amateur whilst talking about them. I'm currently listening to Van Buren Part 2, and I've basically become the biggest Calhoun fan ever. I'm debating <laughs> whether it would be too sad to go as him to a Halloween party. I think maybe. Anyway, just want to say I love your podcast. I've decided to write my EPQ on the effects of colonialism on Native Americans, primarily the effects of alcohol. Thanks and big up Calhoun. Oh, excellent! Oh, that that's amazing. Good luck with with your writing, and definitely go to a Halloween yeah. party as Calhoun. Do it. But please, 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 Annabelle, do not buy rabbits. Yeah, no, stay away from the rabbits. Uh, but yeah, yeah uh, do it. One more British one. Tor Roach. I'm very new to the American presidents, being from England and all. This podcast has been absolutely fantastic. An intro on the leaders of the United States of America. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I would definitely recommend, and if you like, please check out their other podcast, Totalis Rankium Roman Emperors. P.S. No, 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 no. Roman Emperors Totalis Rankium. To be fair, he didn't say Roman Emperors. I've inserted that for clarity, and I said it in the wrong way. That was my error. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, But there's a P.S. here. Where is Roger? He's he's Roman. He's 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 Roman. I hate to say. Roger died in uh, 1604, so that's why he never appears <laughs> in this series. Yeah. Oh, I did have his last parcel. Yeah. Oh, not 1604. What am I talking about? 17, 1720. Yeah, I'm going to say 1720. Yes. There's a reason for that. 
a very right. obscure reason that won't become clear for possibly three years. Okay, let's go. Let's go to America, shall we? The states, land of the free. Here we go. I'm going. I'm going. It's like I, I know some podcasters have like really fancy things where they can see all their reviews come up in one place. I I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I've never thought to, <laughs> never thought to set it up. I just go into iTunes and pretend I'm living in America and then look up reviews. <laughs> okay, let's let's go for this one. This is by Me Doe. Uh, an American classic by two Brits. Five stars. I started listening in a fit of boredom, and a week later I'm still binging every chance I get. As an American fan of political history here in the United States, I was genuinely surprised by the depth and love of the subject by our former brothers from a queen mother. <laughs> they apply a great understanding with fresh perspective. The comic approach is done as well as any. This podcast deserves the respect of so many others and should definitely be added to your listening pleasures. Well done, sirs. I, as a United States citizen, officially forgive you for all those taxes and such from earlier years. Oh, oh cheers. We've got formal forgiveness now. Job done. We can stop the podcast. Excellent. That's what we were aiming for. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I'm going to choose that there's been a typo here. Uh, this is five stars guy who ties it like it is it just starts with jamie are excellent which obviously there's been a typo there i'm going to choose that it was meant to be rob and jamie are excellent and the typo is not jamie is excellent full stop no that's what it was <laughs> we, we all know that's what it was <laughs> uh. This part is a very simple premise, and they do an excellent job of making history fun. Never thought John Tyler and James Polk could be so interesting. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I'm glad I could yeah. provide that for you. Yeah. Uh, Chris Gals, five stars, informative and hilarious. I specifically searched for a podcast that would systematically go through each of the United States presidents and tell me about them. Well, you're in luck. <laughs> that's what we do. Hey, that's good. Uh, this is the it's only fortunate. one I could find, and it's perfect. I was surprised when I started to hear two British guys discussing US presidents, but I find this to be a big draw for the podcast. It provides a very cool perspective. I finally feel informed about what these men actually did and who they were without whitewashing it or making it unbearably dull. The report between Rob and Jamie makes this podcast so fun and hilarious, I found myself shaking with laughter trying not to wake up the baby. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, <laughs> They also do a nice job of dealing with the uncomfortable and horrible racism that is prevalent in our history. Their willingness to discuss it and assumptions that we all agree that these acts and viewpoints are repugnant makes this history much easier to stomach. I highly recommend this podcast. Can't wait for the rest of the presidents. Thank you very much. Oh, to cheers, Chris. That's nice. There we but go. Yeah, tell you what, though, so you're surprised that two British people could uh, do a podcast on American presidents. You never know, there might be a twist at the end. <laughs> You were actually born in Kentucky. I'm Chad. Okay, I'm going to go for one more. Uh, this one's from uh, a few months ago, back back when the pandemic was hit. Gosh, yeah. uh, come for the history, stay for the jokes by Sarah. Five stars. Being a huge history podcast nerd, I've listened to quite a few great ones. Nothing could have prepared me for the hilarity of listening to these two guys. Ah, oh, cheers. Uh, I was late to the game, so I'm still playing catch-up. But this is my go-to right now. I just had tears in my eyes from laughing at, of all things, the second of Tyler's episodes. Uh, oh, oh, that's Tyler's massive gun. Oh, yeah, massive gun. <laughs> Woo. Wow, what a big gun. What a, what a present, what a man. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
thanks for informing and entertaining so well. No problem. So there we go. Some nice, yeah. nice stroke in the old ego oh. there for yeah. us too. But uh, if if you want to send more, uh, we'll read. It's why I don't do it very often. It's just uh, me reading things. Uh, I just find it, find it very weird. No, it's, it's nice though. For, but it, you is, know, the it is nice. It is nice that people are listening. Yeah. yeah. Oh, someone else says they're definitely going to listen to all of the emperors next, but they've put a bunch of Zeds next to it, which I don't know whether that's implying that they find emperors boring, but they're going to give it a go anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, fair well, enough. Give it a go. You might like it. Yeah. You never, never know. mind. Yeah. Check out the Roman one if you've not. It's a it's a bit sillier than this one. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit more rough around the edges at the start as well, because that was back yeah. in 2016. Right, anyway, we're just waffling now at the end. We should probably stop this episode so I can go and start researching Hoover. Yeah. Okay, so thank you very much for listening, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Sir? No, I, I'm napping, I'm napping. Are you sure? You, you sounded... Yes, yes, I'm napping. Go away. Goodbye later. You sound in pain, sir. Are you sure? Don't go away. Napping. Okay. If you need help, let me know. It's okay, Thunderbolt. We're alone again. Tell me more about the bank loan to Germany. Well done, Basil. That's the only thing I remember from my history. From... <laughs> yeah, I cut it. <laughs> yeah, it's like the word count was starting to get a bit too long, and I had to cut something. And it's like, do we really need to know about the intricacies? Of... It's important. Yeah, it leads it leads into World War Two. Yeah, it's important, but it's it's like American focus. Most of them didn't care about what was going on in Europe. So, yeah. Mm. No, that's, that's literally um, about an hour ago when I sat down to finish up the notes. It's like, this isn't all fitting in. It's like, yeah, what, what can I leave out? You know what? All the stuff with doors going over to Europe. Don't necessarily need that. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry, Jamie. It hit the, the cutting room floor. But if you already know about it... The one thing I could talk well, about... You, you can have your own segment. I hope you're prepared. <laughs> yeah. Can I do a jingle? Hang on. Okay, do a jingle. Hang on. What, what is that? Is that your jingle pouch? My jingle pouch. <laughs> <laughs> For the listener's benefit, Jamie has stood up and then produced a sort of little little pouchy bag. Oh, is, is that a hurdy-gurdy? No, it's a kalimba. Oh, right, okay. Or a finger piano, some people call it. Nice. This is so a new addition to the podcast. Where, where's the keyboard yeah. gone that our Roman Emperor listeners love oh, so much? that got beer spilt on it. It no longer works. Oh, there'd be so many I, sad listeners. <laughs> before I bought this, I tried to rebuy it, but they'd sold out on Amazon, so I couldn't buy it anymore. Oh, so sad. Okay, right. Here we go. <laughs> I'm waiting. How's that? Oh, I was, I was waiting for like some some vocals. Okay.
America. Um, can we guess it? Can we guess it? <laughs> British.